A short trigger warning here for my listeners. In today's episode, you will be hearing directly from a survivor of domestic violence. In her own words, Simone O'Brien will share her story, including the details of the horrific attack she endured. This may be triggering for some listeners, and I encourage you to skip this episode if you need to. I'm still like a prisoner in my own body for the rest of my life. I I know I look different to every normal female out there. You know, my jawline will never be the same, you know, my facial features. But my message on that is, you know, to to don't give up. And my, my three things I say to myself is never give up, stay positive and keep smiling. Welcome to the Medusa's Mic podcast, where we come together to stop sexual violence. My name is Lucretia Rackfield, and I'm so very honored to have your company today. Medusa was a victim survivor of sexual assault who was blamed, punished, and had her voice taken away. Too many people can still relate to her story, and we want to change that. It's time for Medusa to take back the mic. In this podcast, we'll share the personal stories of victim survivors, hear from experts in sexual violence prevention and response, and talk to the quiet leaders who are creating real change. Sometimes the content may be confronting, and I urge you to seek support when you need it. But overall, I hope each episode helps you to feel more informed and empowered to take action to stop sexual violence in your community. Now, Let's hear from today's guest. Thank you so much for joining me here today for Medusa's Mic. Today, I have a very special guest called Simone O'Brien, and she is a woman of incredible courage, resilience, and determination. And I really feel so honored to have her with us today. Simone is a survivor of an horrific domestic violence incident and although that perpetrator may have broken her body in many ways, it most certainly has not broken her spirit and today she spends her time as an advocate in the community talking to people about domestic violence, red flags and how we can prevent DV happening to anyone else ever again. Simone, I am so very honoured to have you with us today. Thank you so much for coming along. No, and thank you for the invite. It was, yeah, honestly, I'm honoured to be speaking with you today. And, you know, if we can both as a, as a, a team, you know, just save our next generations coming through by one little red flag hint, that might seem minor, but yeah, so thank you. Absolutely. No, it's great to have you on, Simone. I'm just, I'm really uh, excited to have our conversation today because like you, I think that when we share our real life stories, people can relate and potentially then modify and change their behavior or their perspective and that may keep them safe. And that's absolutely what you and I both want, which is, it's definitely one of the underpinnings of why I've started the podcast in the first place. Fantastic. So I wanted to start today, if we could, by you sharing your story as much or as little as you feel comfortable to. I mean, obviously, you have suffered an an incredible trauma, and I don't want this interview to be re-traumatizing in any way. So if if a question comes up and you don't 
feel comfortable or in the right place to answer it today, just let me know. Mm. But certainly for our, our listeners right now, what can you, what do you feel comfortable sharing about your story? Um, I'm open-hearted because if we don't be open and honest, we're not going to make a change in this space. And that's why if I don't monocle anything, we're going to let other people open up and, and be real too. Lovely. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, let's start off your story, mm-hmm. setting the scene. It's 2012. Can you tell us what happened? Sure, absolutely. And I'll just go back to put you in a little bit more of a scene before 2012 because I've got um, three beautiful, amazing children and their biological father and I separated when Zach was two and a half, three years old, only because there was no domestic violence or anything in there was we had too much money too young and he wanted to take me away and not the children. So the children virtually had a full-time nanny and I just said, hey, look, I just want to be a mum. So we we separated then and then up until 2012, I was a, a single mum. And at that age of 2012, Gabby was 15, Ashlyn was 12 and Zach was 10. And I worked two jobs to facilitate Gabby's um, sporting career because she was a state basketballer for Queensland. And so to look after three children and their sporting careers, yeah, that's why I was busy all that time. And I thought to myself at the start of 2012, I thought, Maybe I am still young enough to have another partner in my life. And I'd actually never thought about it before. Don't get me wrong. I love having a beer, but I'm not a person to go to a nightclub or a pub or anything without the children. Friends and family would always come to us or we'd go to them. And I thought, well, how am I going to meet somebody? You know, I work hard with the two jobs and running around with three children and, and life was busy. And I thought, have I got time? And so one night I did, I sat down on the computer and was going through the internet dating site. And I'm not IT savvy at all, but I was looking through and I thought, how am I going to know if he's a good guy or not? And anyway, I came across a real estate agent and I had been an agent when the children were younger and before they came about, but it was just too busy with children to be a real estate agent. And I knew that being an agent, you had to have a police check. So that was like a light bulb moment for me going, yes, he's, he's got to be safe. He's got to be okay because he's got to have a police check to get his real estate license. Right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So that was my safety barrier with, mm. um, you know, why I actually chose this man off the site. And so I clicked on him and we, we started chatting, but it was at nine o'clock at night because once again, my, my mother, Lou Judy, Judy's took over everything and, you know, I had to make sure the kids were bath fed, homework done, family time. So we were texting for the first six weeks, you know, around that nine o'clock at night when the children were in bed. And then he said, can I ring you? And I said, yeah, sure. So then we started chatting on the phone. Once again, it was still nine o'clock at night. And then he said, can I take you out on a date to meet you in person? And so I said, yes. And so even though Gabby was 15, I still organized one of my friend's daughters who was 1920 at that time to come and sit with the children mm. while I went and, out on the date. Yeah. And can I ask how long had you been messaging by this point? It was about probably uh, two and a half, three months. And that was just, yeah, no, no, no personal contact, just text messages and then um, phone calls. So he could hear my voice and whatnot. And, and then, yeah, so he, we organized a date and he said, I'll pick you up. And I said, okay. And he greeted me with a bunch of flowers and I thought, oh, man, this is good. I haven't had flowers for years and years. Mm. Um, I thought it was lovely. And so the kids were sorted and I, you know, took off with him and went to dinner. And I didn't know how this all worked, but 
he said, oh, I want to pay for dinner tonight. So he did, and I was prepared to pay for dinner, you know, if the, I didn't know what the rules were or what, you know, things. Um, so that was good. Then he dropped me back home. Within probably a week after that, he asked me, could we start dating officially? And I said, yeah, sure. So we did. Started dating. But over a period of nine months, little red flags just didn't sit well in my tummy. And I want to put you into this perspective again. Prior to this, at the age of 37, myself and my children and my family or even my extended friend group, uh, friends group, when you domestic violence, I knew nothing about it. And so these little red flags grew that made me feel sick in the tummy. And it was Zach was getting blamed for a lot of things like deleting contacts out of my phone. And prior to this, Zach never deleted any contacts out of my phone. And it happened, you know, five or six times. I'm thinking, what? And, and obviously I was disciplining Zach for it. I was going, mate, don't touch my phone, you know. And this poor little kid's going, Mommy, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And how old was Zach at the time? Ten. Ten. So I know he was young, but he mm. all these years up until ten, he hadn't not, none of that had gone on. And then there was one day back then you had to put your SIM card in your phone to get you all your numbers and everything over. And I admit, yes, I was on my phone a lot with three kids and two jobs. You know, getting friends to pick up and go to O. And I had to, I was getting a new phone because um, my phone was dying and you had the, your little SIM card you had to transfer over. And I can remember I, I had it in my wallet and he said to me, he goes, I'll take Zach and we'll go and put this into your new phone. We'll go into the Telstra shop where you get your nails done. And I thought, oh, gee, that's nice. Someone's helping me, you know, being, well, I can do my. And he came back and he said, they can't do it because your, your SIM card's got a split in it. I knew it hadn't had a split in it prior. so. He'd obviously bent it so the contacts couldn't be transferred over that way. And then, you know, when you go out um, to dinner and you have one bill per table and normally one person pays and, well, I was taking him to meet all my friends and so I thought, well, I'll pay for the table because they're my, my friends, I'm introducing him to them and they would give me the cash and that's what happened on the night. Well, then poor little Zach was getting blamed again because that money went missing and Zach told mummy I didn't use it I didn't take it I said mate I can't afford tuck shop I'm a single mum with two kids three kids and two jobs <laughs> so he understood that but I had to discipline Zach twice between the, the contacts and the money for no reason because I worked it out and excuse me for any men listening but I I can't call him a man as a you know I call him a perpetrator now because you're good men out there whereas you know he's done wrong and so I realized the perpetrator was actually doing it and then after all this then they might seem minor like because he never said the word SHIT in front of myself or the children never raised a fist he was a gentle giant that would open the car door um, for myself and the children to get into then he started sending me flowers to work not just you know one bunch every couple of weeks it was every day it just made me feel sick everyone's going oh my goodness he's a keeper he's a keeper but no, he was trying to let my workplace know that we were in a relationship because I've been single, a single mum for so long. And being in a, in a government job, you, we didn't have functions, you know, all the time. And so no one knew that I had a partner and th this was his way of letting them, them know. And, you know, it made me feel sick. And so they might seem minor little red flags, but my emphasis on it is how a little red flag can grow into a big red flag really quickly. So 
On Saturday, the, the 23rd of September, 2012, I rung a friend and I said to her, I said, how do I get out of this relationship now? I said, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I haven't experienced it since the biological father type of thing. And he, and she said, let's, let's do it on Monday. Do you know what? I felt like a relief off my shoulders because I knew someone else knew what I was going to do on Monday morning. So anyway, I dropped the children, Gabby and Ashlyn, off at school because they were in high school. So they caught the train one direction. And then I dropped Zach off at school before I um, jumped on the train into the CBD of Brisbane. And I said, you know, goodbye to Zach. And jump. then I'm sitting there on the train thinking to myself, and I've got a smile on my face. And I'm thinking, now, do I text, do I email, or do I ring? And I admit, I took the gutless way I text. And I said, look, I, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I need to end this relationship. I, I haven't got time. Um, da, 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 you know, you deserve more time. So I got into work and back then your phone, you weren't meant to have your phone like you are today in the office. And at lunchtime I went and checked it and there were a lot of messages from him. I still didn't reply. By the time I got on the train on the way home, um, there was a lot as well. And the investigators have since told me that there were hundreds of messages, you know, the controlling he was trying to get through to me. So I got home at six o'clock and Zach was actually at basketball training this night. And so the two girls were at home and Gabba always started cooking me dinner and, you know, and then I would take over. So six o'clock I walk in and, you know, said, greeted the girls and, you know, how's your day? You know, small talk. Then at 6.06, there was a knock at the door and our front door had like a little bit of glass that you could see through who was there. And myself teaching the girls life skills prior to that knock, I'd, I'd said to the girls, I said, oh, mummy ended the relationship today. And Gabby did a big fist pump and goes, yes. And Ashlyn said, will he come back? And I said, no, no, you know, teaching him life skills. And just a little bit on Gabby, she was never rude or disrespectful to him at all, but she never let him into her life, like, because she was, like, my partner for all those years. We ran everything by each other. I think she was a little bit pushed back. Mm. And um, so that was why she was excited for the the fist pump. And, I, and you know, then I said, no, 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 when you end a relationship, you know, that, you just go your own way because with their biological father, you know, that's what we did type of thing, teaching them how life goes. And and I thought when the knock at the door and I thought, right, I haven't spoken to him all day. I've still got to teach the children life skills. I've taught them respect and da, 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 and I've taught them that, you know, if someone comes to you or back, you always say hello. So I thought I hadn't spoken to him all day. I had to go and answer the door. So I did. And I said, hi, how are you going? And he said, good. He goes, can we please talk about this? And I said, yeah, sure. And he we, he goes, can we go into your bedroom? Because the, the girls were at the kitchen bench. And I said, yeah, yeah. And Was was he aggressive or anything at this point, Simone? No, or? nothing. Still not aggressive at all. No, just nice and polite. And, you know, can we can we please talk about it? No, you wouldn't, wouldn't know that what was going to happen happened. And even to put in there, even when he was in remand, the investigator said he showed no remorse. For when that when he had to get into the gear and everything, but anyway, um, so we, he goes, "Can we go into your bedroom?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And so we went in there, and he shut the bedroom door behind him. And being a single mum, the girls knew that my rule was bedroom doors always stay open. You know, if they're burping, farting, vomiting, or whatever, I always wanted to hear. So I could he- actually hear the girls outside. You know, Ashlyn being twelve, she wasn't quiet, which was a relief for me. And he goes, why, why can't we? And I said, look, you deserve someone better than me not get, being able to give you 100% of my time. I said, my kids come first and, you know, da, da, da. So me walking in 
with my still my corporate, my high heel clothes on. The investigators don't know if he actually pushed me to the ground or I, I did accidentally trip. And you'll see a bit of tape on my arm here. And the next minute I look up from being on the ground and I had to go like that, baseball bat was coming down on my arm. So I knew my arm was broken. He hit that three or four times. And I yelled out to the girls, I said, girls, come in and help mommy. Mommy needs your help. And so they came in and Gab looked at me as if to say, mum, you can get up. You can run out of here. You're, you're fit, you know. Do you know, I honestly thought I was going to die because I tried to push up from that arm and the bone was already outside the skin. I said, just go get mummy help, you know, and... You know, I could see it in Gabby's face. She's going, no, you can fix the car, the house and everything, da, da, da. And, yeah, I did. I thought I was going to die. But they did go out the front. And because there was never any domestic violence in our home, the neighbours who this has just given me a different life in looking at our different nationalities in our country because I love each and every one now because I had Samoans one side and South Africans the other. And, you know, I don't care what shape, size, colour, language or whatever you speak, we all need to work as a team because they did. And this Samoan family, there was three or four different families inside that one home and these two big Samoans had to put their life on hold once because Gabby did ring the triple O once the neighbours realised, no, this is serious. And the triple O actually did hang up on her. They have told me that but they retrieved the call were there in within seconds and then the South African lady, because the children at that time had only seen I had a broken arm, she came running in and obviously this is what I've been told. And she was asking, get me your ice for mummy's arm, get me ice. She took one look at me from 6.06 to 6.16, so 10 minutes. I'd actually endured 45 to 50 hits to the right side of the face with the baseball bat. From that, I've obviously I've lost my eye. This whole side now is titanium plated with an implant here. And my, all my jawline was all smashed in that I couldn't even open my jaw two mil to fit a McDonald's chip in. So the, the South African lady who works in pathology, she actually knew, she said, get me dry towels. She actually knew to wrap dry towels around my head till the service arrived because she said my face was just mush. It was hanging out everywhere. And the Samoans, obviously the investigators, police and whatnot, said do not do anything to him. We don't want him to be able to put back anything, charge them with anything. And the, the funny thing was they're beautiful big Samoans and they go, Samoan, we weren't allowed to hit him, but we got a knee in the in his back and planted his face into the dirt till the Dibby van arrived. So it's how the whole street just, you know, came together to save my life. And a positive on that, obviously, at the scene, um, the children all they said, Mummy, you looked dead at the scene. We couldn't talk to you, da, da, da. But... I've since found out that they actually had to put me in induced coma at the scene because with any brain injury, your head, it swells, it would have blocked my windpipe. And obviously I have met the ambulance officers, Dr. Stephen Rashford, that saved my life at the scene. He actually has told me that lucky I did get 45 to 50 blows to my skull, he said, because it actually saved my life, whereas if I'd only got five or ten, it wouldn't have shattered my skull like I did. And because my skull was shattered, and my brain was swelling. It was actually moving as it um, it went through. And so from that, then um, the children were taken by investigators and police back to the station to do their statements. And at 2 a.m. on the 26th, they had to come and say goodbye to me because they said that I wasn't going to make it through. And um, so I always get a bit emotional when I say this because um, on the, the 26th, that's actually Ashlyn's birthday. And so that's something 
in in her mind every year was you know mummy didn't get to say happy birthday to me and obviously it's not just how it affects me it's that ripple effect not even just just my children it's the whole community and so there's I had to come and say goodbye to me then I survived that day night and went back to theater the next night and they had to come back and do the same thing and they said mummy's got through this far we've given her three to four percent chance now um if she does pull through she's going to be a vegetable she won't be able to walk or talk or do anything and so for the the first 10 days obviously I was touch and go on the ninth day one of my friends said must have said to me I don't remember it but they said you're going to get through this Simone you're going to get through this and I must have said no and obviously they went nuts the nurses and doctors and they said look she could be just having a bad day you know we'll we'll get her under control and back in a positive mind and whatnot so that's basically the first um 10 days of my life savior change what I'd been through you know just because I wanted to say no I didn't want to be in a relationship and um obviously from then up until now I'm still like a prisoner in my own body for the rest of my life I I know I look different to every normal female out there you know my jawline will never be the same you know my facial features but my message on that is you know to to don't give up and my my three things I say to myself is never give up stay positive and keep smiling and Yes, I am a, um, a prisoner in my own body for the rest of my life because I've got to have treatment. And I do, now I am located in back in Victoria because that's where my family are. But I still fly back to Brisbane every seven to 10 days for treatment. And, you know, things I've done, I've learnt along the way, you know, from my arm. When I first woke up, it was stiff as a board and I never thought I would be able to get movement in it again. So, you know, I used to sit in the hospital bed just turning cards and I thought, why am I doing this? But now I know, you know, now I've got complete movement in everything. I've, you know, gone over my body and I may look different, but I, I do love and respect myself. And I've never done that before. I've realized that we are an amazing creature, you know, from what I've been through to now and any little tip that someone will give me, I would, I will give it a go and take it on board, you know, that is to do with my health and, and different things. And obviously I've, I've rocked many a weird and wonderful hairdos along my way. So even down to little things in my recovery, you know, just appreciation, appreciating the small things in life has really, you know, just turned my beliefs around. And, you know, I was asked to run the the New York Marathon, which is the world's biggest marathon. And so I just wanted to prove to, to women and children that are going through this is to not give up because I was on the brink of death. And you'll see in the background up here, I did complete and run the New York Marathon in 2018. And oh my goodness, you know, how how long is that? How far is that race? 42 kilometers. 42. Yeah, yeah. And I was so wow. determined I did not walk a step. Obviously, after 52 operations, I'm sitting here today. So I had to plan it between operations. And yeah, it was just something that I'd set my mind to and just wanted to to let people know, let's don't give up in this space. Let, let's keep fighting. I may have to have one more operation. We're just waiting and seeing. But I turning it into a positive for my own mindset now. And you know what? I haven't had um, mental depression or anything. I've looked at looked at life in a different way and done everything possible. And I'm not embarrassed to say I still have counselling and I actually have Reiki sessions as well to keep me all in a line and, you know, even down to my children. And that's through the Reiki sessions is how they actually found out that Gabby took blame, 
had taken blame for what had happened to me because she never let the perpetrator into into her life and so how yeah I know I said it before but how it affects not just the victim but everyone else as well yeah Simone thank you for that's a lot (laughs) that's a lot lot that's a lot thank you for willing being willing to share that story with us and I think there are so many things that I have questions about if I can ask you about your story if we go back to you mentioned that early on you had that sick feeling in your stomach so it was your really your your gut instinct was kind of saying this is not right but I'm guessing at that point your mind was stepping in and going Oh, and reasoning yourself out of your doubts. Is that what was going on for you? Absolutely. And because I hadn't been in a relationship, I didn't know if 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 I was being stupid. Do you know what I mean? But do you know what? I've learned that your gut instinct tells you a lot every day. And I actually had to use my gut instinct. And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I could tell a perpetrator was even lying to a facilitator just with his body language and everything and it just made me feel sick and I just thought, no, you know, it's not on. If his stomach is saying to you, no, don't go there with him or don't do this with him, please listen. Listen Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I'm a big believer that our intuition is probably our most under-recognized and underused yes. skill. Yes. Um, and you should always, always trust it. Yes. So I'm really interested to hear that you also have come to that belief as well. If you'd like to hear part two of my conversation with Simone O'Brien, please head over to the next episode where we talk about her life now, red flags, and the work she has started to do with perpetrators. Thanks so much for your company today. If you feel more informed or empowered after listening to this podcast, please leave us a review or share this episode with a friend or family member. Medusa's Mic is brought to you by the Stop Sexual Violence Collaboration, an enterprise to bring people together to discuss and facilitate sexual violence prevention and response initiatives. The music for today's podcast is brought to you by Dima Tishko from Tank. The opinions and perspectives offered on Medusa's mic are solely those of the interviewer and the interviewees. They are our expressed personal opinions and views. They are not intended or meant to replace any treatment or advice you may be receiving from a licensed professional. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional, psychological, medical or legal help, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. This episode is copyrighted and should not be reproduced without express permission from SSV Colab and Lucretia Ackfield.